How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hey there, Disney Files. Thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two. So if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to elders past and present. Ladies and gentlemen, the President will now be here to answer any questions. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming. I, I do have time for a couple of questions. Over here, Mr. President. Over here, Mr. President. Uh, you, yeah, you there. Stackers from CNN. The people want to know, what is the best Disney song? That's all the time I have for today. Thank you very much. Mr. Mr. President, you, you, can't, you can't walk away from this. Mr. Mr. President. Hello, hello, and welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers. And I am Will, and on this show we will be breaking each animated Disney classic down, song by song, in an attempt to answer the impossible question. What is the best Disney song? Oh, oh dear, what an awkward situation. I have no response to that today. Usually I try and come up with something funny to say, (laughs) and today I have nothing. (laughs) Because it's getting harder and harder. (laughs) How you been, Will? Oh, look, I've been well, Stackers. I've been well. How have you been? I mean, we're, we're, you know, for context, we're in lockdown. We're back recording via internet again. Um, And as such, you know, that comes with its challenges. How are you? What's been happening? Um, I'm good. I am sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was up until, what was it, like 2 a.m. watching the Olympic ceremony last night? Really? It went that late? It they took like five years to bring out all the countries. Yeah. And the entertainment before that was pretty boring. After that, it was amazing. Oh my God, the pictographs. You know how they've got those um little um, pictures every year that represent each sport? They're usually sort of like stick figures, but not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they've got this like amazing um sort of like theater group that does all these like live action um, interpretations of things. And they basically recreated all of those pictographs in order with like a few seconds in between and they're like they've got these blue heads um and they're like they're shaped in a way that when they freeze they look like the pictographs you've got to see it I'm explaining it so badly but um oh my god it was just the most incredible thing I've seen yeah that sounds that sounds really interesting I'll have to look that up I didn't watch the uh, opening ceremony last night because I was watching Sleeping Beauty um but yeah it's uh I I I really like the Olympics, and I like watching the opening ceremony. Usually, it just feels a bit off at the moment to sort of be do to be like focusing on that, I guess. But um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll get around to it. I do really like, you know, getting into all of the obscure sports and stuff like that that come out during Olympics time. Like a couple of years ago, I got really into the curling in the Winter Olympics and I was just... Yeah, I, I was at school every day just talking about, oh, did you see the curling last night? Oh, my God, Iceland <laughs> is just killing it, you know. So I've just got to uh, know, when you asked that question, did anybody ever respond, yes, yes, I did? No, no, they all said, uh, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even go to this school. Yeah, um, yeah no, I um, this morning we got up and we watched um, the European handball because on it's kind of cool having seven plus now because there's multiple sports you can pick from because we're all running yeah. at the same time. Mm. And I was like, oh, what is handball? I don't actually think I know what that is. Do you, have you ever watched handball? No, I haven't. Is it? like foursquare is that like the handball you play at school or it's no it's like soccer meets basketball so it's kind of like imagine if you had a game of indoor soccer except instead of kicking the ball you hold it and the ball's about half the size of a soccer ball right and it's exceptionally exceptionally boring okay <laughs> like the commentators are trying to make it sound like you know then they're, they're commentating actual soccer but in reality like nothing's really happening and it's super easy to score yeah like- yeah okay <laughs> so there's a reason why it only comes out once every four years yeah but apparently it's a really big thing in europe yeah. like some countries okay. it's their main sport so oh, interesting know, yay interesting for them. okay good yeah uh thumbs up <laughs> you know let us know if handball is your favorite sport yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you imagine if we, our, our next like series was just dis- dissecting you know stupid olympic sports yeah. um. <laughs> no we're not, we're not going to get that far because we're going to get cancelled by all the handball lovers <laughs> who <laughs> campaign against us because we've had a bit of a laugh at their sport <laughs> oh, i'm so sorry if you are a handball player i apologize for your poor life choices um all right so after that we watched cool runnings oh, speaking of disney movies great choice great choice Still one of my favourite movies. I remember in um, grade five, we were the only classroom with an air conditioner. Mm -hmm. We were in a portable, a new portable. Yep. And so it was a super hot day and they got the other grade five classes to cram into our room and we watched Cool Runnings and I still remember that. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I've seen it about 50 times since then and, uh, yeah, it's still one of my favourite movies. I don't think I've ever had a bad time with Cool Runnings. I don't think it's possible to have a bad time with Cool Runnings. Sunk is like the best Disney character ever. You can't not have a good time with that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Him and his lucky egg. (laughs) Um, We watched, uh, aside from Sleeping Beauty, this week we watched Soul after your recommendation uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, it was... How'd it go? It's a really good movie. Yeah, I I really loved a lot about it. Um, I really loved the animation style, both like the the sort of how realistic New York City looked, um, but also mm. like the sort of abstract art style of the 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 sort of after afterlife is is it the afterlife yeah like the the sort of the yeah those like wire yeah those the guardians or whatever they were called it's just stunning and um you know Rachel House doing incredible work as the accountant uh just yeah like a really really solid Pixar movie yeah oh Rachel House yeah bow down oh absolutely down. absolutely have you seen the Hunt for the Wilder People the what for the wilder people? Hunt for the wilder people. It's a Taika Waititi film from New Zealand. 
No. Really, really fantastic movie. Yeah, highly recommend it. Check it out. Uh, it's got Sam Neill in it, um, and Rachel House is in that as well. And that's the first thing I saw her in. And just ever since then, anything she's in, I'm 100% on board for. She's incredible. Yeah, cool. No, love her. Um, we'll definitely check yeah, that out. Yeah, definitely do. Definitely do. But look, we're not here to uh, dissect Taika Waititi's filmography as much as I would love that. Uh, <laughs> we are here to talk about Sleeping Beauty. Cue the music. I know you, I walk with you once upon a dream. I know you, the gleam in your eyes is so familiar a Sleeping Beauty. She is uh-huh. sleeping a lot, but not really. <laughs> I remember loving this movie when I was a kid and there were a lot of things that came up in this movie that I just vividly remember from when yeah. I watched it. Um, but before I hit play, I really couldn't remember. I was like, what happens before she falls asleep? Like, I couldn't remember the overall yeah, story. Yeah, right. I am fairly confident that I have never seen this movie before last night. Oh, like, wow. I feel like I get the general vibe of it. Like, uh, you know, the whole Maleficent movie that came out with Angelina Jolie. So I, I was very familiar with how things should look, but I, yeah. I, I'm fairly confident I had never seen it before. Oh, yeah. there you go. Um, and, I mean... What did you think? Look, the, the the movie itself, the story is not great. It's not super interesting. I think it's a little bit boring. But the animation of this movie is so stunning. Like, I I yeah. cannot talk about... I, I, I can't talk positively enough about how good this movie looks. Yeah, so basically... Um this movie is the only Disney movie that looks like that because it was so expensive to make. Yeah. So basically um, Walt Disney had a bit of a problem with Mary. So we, we love Mary Blair. We talk about her all the time. It's all over our social yeah. media. Um, her artwork wasn't really translating to screen and you can sort of see that if you look at her original artwork. The ideas are there but it doesn't look like her stuff no. when you go to the animated yeah. finished edit. No, it looks and very different. Yeah. Yeah, really different. And so basically they Walt Disney was kind of not happy with how animators would sort of round out her angles and then sort of water down her visuals. Mm. And so he hired Irvin Earl to bring illustrations to life. And that was his kind of thing. He wanted the movie to look like moving illustrations. Yeah, okay. Irvin Earl, he um did some did we talk about him in Lady and the Tramp? Um, we mentioned how Lady and the Tramp was uh Mary Blair's last film and then Irvin Earl came in and sort of took over. Okay, and yeah. Finished yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. So that was sort of a half half deal there. She started the concept art, then he finished it and we got the film. Yeah. This okay. is his first entire film. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you can tell because the, the style is so different and such a departure from what we've seen from Disney so far. It is, um, yeah, I I can't wait to dive into it a little bit more. Um, yeah. So he was really into um, pre-Renaissance Gothic work and miniature Persian um, 
oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not landscapes, but cityscapes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And so he um, basically was really into detail. So if you look at the detail in these backgrounds compared to um, any backgrounds that were in previous films, you'll notice there is just so much more detail in here. And the difference between how Mary Blair had worked and how Irvin worked was Mary Blair would kind of do all the background designs and yeah. then animators would create the characters, decide on the colours that the characters would wear and put them on top. Right. Irvin Earl took charge of everything yeah so he did the detailed backgrounds but he also told the animators how to style the characters yeah okay and the animators were really pissed about it because all of a sudden they didn't really have any creative control they were just told no that fairy's blue that one's red and they um they didn't really like it because they felt they were having a lot of trouble making the characters stand out Mm. And it is really interesting. There was one scene where um, I think it's the two kings, Hubert and Philip, and they're wearing um, red, orange and blue, I think. And you look at the background and the entire background is red, orange and blue as well in detail. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like one of the main things that animators had tried to avoid is you want your characters to pop so you can't really have similar colours in the background. Yeah. Whereas because of this style of artwork, especially this pre-Renaissance Gothic, which is a lot of like um, religious figures and, you know, old kings and queens. Yeah. You look at that and there really is usually a sort of set color palette that is used in those artworks. And that's what um, Irvin Earl was going for. Therefore, the characters had the same colors as their backgrounds a lot and it made them really hard to pop. Yeah, okay. Um, And so they basically complained. They went to Walt Disney. So we're still in the age of the nine old men here who basically did all the animations for about 30 years. And they said, you know, basically, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) (laughs) he's he's not letting us do anything that we want to do. And Disney fully backed him. And was like, no, I completely trust him. you got to do whatever he says um, because – For this film, Walt Disney wanted the style to be the main feature of the film. He was so keen on the visuals being the feature of this film. Yeah, and that's a really smart choice because, like I said, this movie looks so good. Oh, yeah. Um, And even, like, if you the backgrounds are something else. I'll come back to the backgrounds in a second, but the texture and the detail and the use of, like, shadow in the trees of the woods and all that sort of stuff is insane it's very very cool yeah and then you've got this like incredible almost like cubism style backgrounds which it for some reason i kept thinking about the thief and the cobbler have you ever seen that oh yeah but not that i'd remember yeah look it's not it's not stylistically similar similar it's very stylistically different but some of the like the shapes and stuff like that just made me think about that movie oh, and right. it's it's just yeah like it's it looks so good oh cool yeah i kind of had a bit of issue right at the start um it's when there's uh, like knights riding on the back of horses i don't know they're all i think they're all coming to the the celebration of princess royal's yeah, birth yeah. 
And I thought the backgrounds looked beautiful. And then I didn't really love the 2D animation in front of it. Like they looked really flat as they were like riding past and people walk in. And I found that really jarring at the start. I got used to it as the film went on, but instantly it just, it does look very, very different to, you know, even Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. um, In terms of style. And you even look at the way that um, like Princess Aurora's hair. Yes. It's like a flat color. And then you've got those fine light lines to define her hair. And it almost looks Grecian in the way it's done. Yeah. And then you look and you realize every female's hair is done like that. None of the men, but every woman's hair, even the fairies with their fringes, have definition via fine lines. And if you look at how they're animated now, like when you see Princess Aurora and you know in a picture with all the princesses, her hair has that realistic texture texture that we're used to now. But in the film, it's very very different. Yeah, it's um I I, I agree with you there. When it first started and it first came out, I found it quite jarring as well, and I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. But it just it kind of finds its own rhythm and it settles into it and it, it 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 works for it in a way. Yeah. This was also the first time that they'd animated for a widescreen. So if you remember from The Lady and the Tramp, they made it and then widescreen came out and they had to quickly add things on the side. Yes, yep. Yeah, so this time they animated it edge to edge and it's very different. If you compare it to Lady and the Tramp where all the action's in the middle, now there's action all the way across the screen. Yeah, okay, which, yeah. Which is super, super cool. But this film cost $6 million to make. Ooh. And it, when it came out, this was a huge, huge hit. And at the time, it was the second highest grossing film of all time, second to Ben-Hur. So it was a massive, massive hit. Wow. But because it cost $6 million to make, yeah. it didn't actually make its money back because it only made just over $5 mil in the box office. Wow, okay. And so Disney said, no more. We're not doing that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it looks beautiful, but it cost us a fortune. Yeah, like look, as a just as a reference, $6 million in 1959 is 50 just over $56 million today. So that's a really expensive animation. And it was Mm. in the works for a very, very long time as well, which um, possibly, I don't know what songs from the cutting room floor you've got coming up, but yeah, this film was in the works for nearly a decade. And basically Sammy Fain was brought on board originally. And Sammy Fain wrote the music in Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, okay. And he wrote an entire score for it. Right, okay. And it was full of Broadway-like songs, so there was always this idea that they were going to adapt Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty Ballet. And Sammy Fain wrote a whole score that had all these sort of Broadway-ish songs, and eventually that entire thing got scrapped, and the only song that survived was Once Upon a Dream. Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I assume then that they took a lot of music from the ballet? Originally, yes. So in the end, the score was completely redone by George Bruns. Okay. And the only thing that's from the ballet now is Once Upon a Dream. Oh, okay, yes, right. Okay, sorry, I understand now. Yeah. 
So, yeah, because it's really fascinating listening to the score and in, in sort of doing further analysis of the songs this morning before we recorded, I was listening to a lot of the score. The, it does build and change and um, drive like a ballet. Like there's, there's so many times when um, like tempo will suddenly change or like the tone will suddenly change that makes me think of a ballet or a symphony or something like that where they're telling this story through music and, and I'm assuming dance as well. Like it, it, it feels like a ballet. So when they when that came up at the, at the start saying, you know, based on the Tchaikovsky ballet, I was wondering how much of the music they took from the ballet. But that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's actually, it ended up being more the story of the ballet that they stole, not the um, music. So, yeah, Once Upon a Dream is directly from the ballet. Oh, like, inverted commas, directly from the ballet. Yeah. Um, the music is almost dot for dot with the exception of the end of the kind of main phrase. Um, but, yeah, basically, so Oliver Wallace had always been doing the scores for ages. Um, yeah. And he, at this point, had moved on to more scoring the live actions that Disney was making. And almost all of them have to do with animals. It's quite funny to look at. Um, And he was doing a lot of westerns as well. And so Disney brought on a guy named Walter Schumann to score it. And it's because of Walter Schumann we've got Mary Costa voicing Aurora. So there's kind of like a chain here. Um, But he left over creative differences with Walt Disney. And so George (coughs) Bruns did the score. So this was kind of like handballed around. (laughs) Um, So we had Sammy, you know, Oliver Wallace left. Sammy Fain wrote one. They didn't like it. Brought on Walter Schumann. He didn't like Walt Disney. Brought on George Bruns. We finally got a score. (laughs) <laughs> huh, okay, right. What a what a epic tale of adventure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so we finally got after one, two, three, three films with no Academy Award nominations. We finally got one here with best score. Oh, nice. V- very well deserved. Um, it did not win because unfortunately this is the same year that the film version of Porgy and Bess came out. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Stackers. So before you jump into Stats from Stackers, which I know everyone's waiting to listen to, I we would like to introduce... I would like to introduce a new segment called Dissecting Disney Dranks. Alright, so Stackers, I love a drink um, and I love mixing up some uh, cocktails. So I am going to be, every episode from now, I'm going to be doing a themed cocktail. Oh, and today I'm so we excited have for this. our Sleeping Beauty uh, episode uh, and I've got a cocktail here called the Princess Aurora, which is 30 mils of vanilla vodka, 30 mils of cranberry juice, and five drops of Lux Peach. And Lux is kind of like a, um, a drinkable glitter type thing. Oh, my God. I hate lockdown. I'm just going to pretend as I drink my orange juice that I've got this <laughs> cocktail as well. Mm, tastes like glitter. 
Yeah, oh, delicious, delicious. So you chuckle that in a cocktail shaker, you shake it up, and then either in a Collins glass or a brandy balloon, you pour it out and top it with Sprite. And that is the Princess Aurora. And it is delicious. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> there will be photos going up on the Facebook, so follow along. I'm also going to be working on the backlog. So starting with Snow White all the way up to Lady and the Tramp. Oh, this is exciting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We need to add a sixth reason to leave home to taste yes. some yeah. delicious Disney cocktails. Dear Dan Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is going to be the best. Okay. It is. It is. All right. So into stats from Stackers. The year is 1959. We're at the end of the golden age of Disney. The music is by George Bruns. The lyrics are by Tom Adair. And the score is by George Bruns after a long list of, you know, um, dejected (laughs) (laughs) composers. In the cast, we've got Mary Costa, a famous soprano in the role of Princess Aurora. We've got Bill Shirley as Prince Philip, who was a pop star at the time. And also, interestingly, he was a um, ghost singer for Fox for many, many years. Yeah. And his famous ghost voice is, he is the ghost voice of Freddie Einsford Hill in My Fair Lady. Oh, okay, right. Uncredited. Yeah. Uh, as a lot of the ghost singers were at the time. But um, yeah, his voice is stunning and pretty much every female cast member in this movie was in love with him. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Maleficent was voiced by Eleanor Audley, who was also Lady Tremaine in Cinderella. Yep, she also makes sense. did yeah she also did a lot of the live action filming for this um similar okay, to how yep. she did it in Cinderella because she is awesome um our favorite queen Verna Felton is back on this one uh this time she Classic voices Verna. oh we love Verna this time she voices the red fairy Flora and she also vo- voiced the queen and I found this really interesting when I read it the queen literally says one thing in this whole film and I've already forgotten what it is yeah I actually don't recall her speaking at all so uh, she says something like <laughs> oh go. no or something like it's something like really insignificant but- <laughs> hey Verna just while you're in the booth can we get you to just uh, give us an oh no or something yeah we, we might use it later <laughs> yeah it's like when when Maleficent's there like I'm gonna curse your daughter she says something like that I'm annoyed I didn't write it down because I was like when does she ever speak and I was like oh my god that was it <laughs> yeah yeah um other uh, other voices that we've got in the cast, King Hubert is voiced by Bill Thompson, our favourite, who was also yep. Smee and um, uh, the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland and a bunch of stuff in Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, and now then- H- Hubert is, the, is Philip's dad, yeah, not Aurora's, is that correct? Yeah, yeah the, the yeah. short one that very conveniently says as he's passing out, Hugh, uh, Philip was talking to, to a peasant girl or something. It's so stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. as he's falling asleep, remember that? Yeah, look, the story's not the strongest. It's full of convenient <laughs> conveniences. Um, <laughs> other um, other people of note, um, the Herald is voiced by Hans Conried, who was Captain Hook in Peter Pan. Really? And, yeah. Because that did not, that was not recognisable at all. Nope. And it's right. a really small part as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also in um, Maleficent's Goons, we've got Candy Candido. Do you remember who he was? Yeah, he was the... Oh. 
He was the oh was he was he chief? Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's okay. the Indian yeah, chief, yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can hear it straight away because he's got that incredibly low voice. It is an incredible bass. Yeah, <laughs> he only speaks in like one scene, but I was like, yep. That's the voice. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's also got a spot in my heart because he's the apple tree in The Wizard of Oz. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's funny because in the last uh, episode we did of Lady and the Tramp, Verna Felton was Aunt Sarah. And I mentioned, I was like, she pr- basically is the Red Fairy. I honestly did not realise she is the Red Fairy in Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. That was a total coincidence. I was just like, she's basically the Red Fairy. And then I watched it, I was like, oh my God, she is the Red Fairy. (laughs) (laughs) There is nothing that that woman cannot do. We love her. We We love her. So most famous song from this movie was Once Upon a Dream, probably Mm -hmm. because there's only three songs in this film, so there's not much to pick from. Yeah, I... Again, I, I'd like I'd never seen this movie before, but even in movies that I'm I'm fairly certain I haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time, I still remember songs from it because they've at least existed in the the sort of larger stratosphere of Disney. Yeah. None of these songs were were recognizable at all. Yeah, I even when I was writing the list, apart from Once Upon a Dream, I was like, I I don't know what these other two songs are. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What I mean, one is called like- Scumps, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember the uh, the nineteen fifty nine banger Scumps. Scumps. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, time for the synopsis. So, for those of you who have not seen. Sleeping Beauty before, like Will had surprisingly never seen it before, or you just Mm. don't remember it. Sleeping Beauty is about a princess who is born and the whole kingdom shows up to celebrate. Everyone is invited except an evil witch named Maleficent, who's evil because she has horns and a scary bird. (laughs) A typical woman scorned, Maleficent curses the baby to die on her 16th birthday from pricking her finger on a spindle. The king responds by having all spindles burnt, condemning the whole kingdom to live naked for the next 16 years. The blue fairy casts a spell so that instead of, dro- instead of dropping dead, the princess will only fall asleep until true love's kiss wakes her up. The fairy spirit... Mm. The fairy sp- then spirit Princess Aurora away to live off the grid until her 16th birthday, when, on the day, she falls in love with a strange hottie in the woods. The fairies take her back to the castle where she fully cracks the sads because she wants to bone the handsome guy who felt her up in the woods. Maleficent shows up with a spindle. Aurora touches it. The fairies respond by comatosing the entire kingdom, except somehow the prince. The prince then fights a dragon, runs into the castle, plants one on Aurora, and they all live happily ever after. So many questions. So many. It wasn't until I was writing this that I realized where was the prince? Like his dad's there. Yeah. I... Firstly, why was Maleficent so pissed that she wasn't invited to a kid's birthday party? Like, I think if I get out of having to go to a a baby's (laughs) birthday party, it's probably not a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, Maleficent, sit on the couch in your undies and eat ice cream or something. There's so many better (laughs) things you could be doing with your time. (laughs) Don't get so pissy um, about it. I, I watched Maleficent, but I watched it years ago. 
Do they make her a relation of someone? Is she meant to be someone's sister? Uh, that is a great question. It sounds familiar, but I don't think I've actually seen Maleficent either. I've seen a lot oh. of the images and stuff. I know the general vibe, but I haven't seen the movie. And I think you're right. And I think they try and make her a much more uh, understandable bad guy than just, I'm an evil fairy. Yeah, no, In I do remember in Maleficent, she starts off as a beautiful fairy. She falls in love with the prince... They basically have it off and then he cuts off her wings and that's why she full-on cracks it. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But Interesting. Yeah, I I don't know why I always thought that Maleficent was someone's sister, but I think I've just made that up. It's interesting that we've got this new, like, um, what am I trying to say? This new uh, genre almost of redefining the bad guy in Disney movies. Like, we've just had Cruella come out. We've had the two Maleficent movies. Um, we've had, you know, Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah. Um, it it surprises me, and I might be wrong in this, but it, is Maleficent the first of the, aside from Snow White and the Huntsman, is Maleficent the first bad guy to get her own movie? I believe so. I think it was a pretty big deal when it came out. Yeah, it's such a strange choice because Maleficent is very memorable in terms of her look, but in terms of like being a uh, effective villain, she doesn't do a lot. No. So to give her her own movie, I feel is a really interesting and strange choice. She is a really big part of the Disneyland. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. So they've had things where Maleficent, um, you know, has cursed Disneyland on like Halloween, um, so they, they use her a lot. I think she's, cause there's no other really cool villains. Like Captain no. Hook is, is just a person. Um, no one wants to see the crone from Snow White really. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mal- there's a, there's some good animal bad guys, but I guess they're probably tricky to do in a, in a Disneyland context. Yeah. And like, I know we've got the evil queen from Snow White when she's in queen form, but she's not really in that form for much. Maleficent is just kind of a really cool badass and the only mm. real one that stands out from this era of Disney. So she became yeah a really big part of the Disneyland theme parks and she just kind of has remained that way. Yeah. Okay. She is kind of hot. Yeah, she is kind of hot. And I guess that that kind of helps propel the reason to make a movie about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, It doesn't mean that I am sick of Disney just reworking (laughs) material. (laughs) Give me a new character. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. The um, other major question I had from this movie, from the, the, this point, just while we're talking about the, the kids' birthday party, is if the if the blue fairy could make this curse change, oh, I've got so, so that many it's issues. just yeah, it's, it's so that she just doesn't die. How could you? Why couldn't she just be like, she pricks her finger? Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, and then when she does, she just has a bit of a like an allergy strike <laughs> or something. I wrote in my notes because I've got like notes from when I watched it. Meriwether could have chosen anything to break the spell. Sacrifice a goat. Assign someone to sing to her. A town event. Hell, when the clock strikes midnight. But no, she hangs Aurora's life on the chance that someone will fall in love and kiss a dead girl. (laughs) Meriwether the dumbass. (laughs) Really? That's what you went with. That's what you went with. Good times. Good times. And, like, if she didn't just happen 
to meet the prince the day they take her back to the castle. Does that mean just that's it? Like, Yeah. Yeah. And why weren't they encouraging some sort of relationship uh, if that was their backup? Like, if if they didn't- tr- like, I mean, I know that this decision came after that, but if they didn't trust themselves enough to not stop it completely and just change the, the death to, you know, falling asleep- then why didn't they encourage a relationship as a backup? She comes home and says she's met this handsome guy. Okay, cool. Yeah, is a true love. Awesome. Let's uh, let's foster that and blossom that a little bit. Yeah, I also don't understand why they didn't take her back the day after her sixteenth birthday. Yeah, so strange. Like, if the prophecy is when the sun sets on her sixteenth birthday. Why not take her back the next day, you morons? Yeah, the the fairies are not very effective in this. Yeah. I, mean, I know that they like <laughs> rescue the prince after he has to listen to Maleficent's amateur slam poetry, but um, <laughs> it's there's just yeah, they make some strange choices. Yeah, I, and I hate the whole pink blue dress fight after you know they've been really clear we've got to shut all the windows and be really careful and then of all people for flora to get engaged in this stupid battle over the dress yeah I and know. then when they 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 kind of end up with this mess where the dress is kind of blue and pink and it's all messy and flora says now look what you've done like it's ruined yeah uh, just magic it yellow, dude. Yeah, like- <laughs> if, only, if, if only there was something we could do to fix this. <laughs> it's just, oh, I have so many issues with this. And uh, y- you will have even more issues with it after you read the original synopsis. All right, let's let's uh, let's jump into it. Hang on, I've got this it here. was so much fun to write. Do you know nothing about the original story, do you? No, I don't. Okay, so the Disney movie is based on this and the Grimm's Brothers fairy tale, which I'll yeah. just explain the Grimm's Brothers bit after this, but this is the legit original story. Now, I've just looked at the name here. Is this the same original writer as Pinocchio? Uh, GM Batista Basile? Yeah. Interesting. All right, here we go. The OG fairy taler. Okay. Sun, Moon and Talia was written by GM Batista Basile in 1634. Once upon a time, a rich white dude had a daughter named Talia. (laughs) When she was born, he called on a bunch of dudes to predict her future. They gathered and concluded that one day she would be in great danger from a splinter of flax. Oh no, not a splinter (laughs) of flax. Uh, Nowadays, that would simply call for an EpiPen, but this is the 17th century Italy, so this calls for a ban of all all the flax-related objects in his house. One day, Talia is old enough to have boobs and she sees a woman outside her window spinning thread. She calls the woman over and asks if she can give spinning a whirl and immediately cops some flax under her fingernail and drops dead. Upon seeing this, the woman freaks out and runs away. <laughs> it actually then says, and she is still running today or something after that. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Oh, no, someone died. I, I'm just going to run forever. <laughs> And also, like, how boring is 17th century Italy if you just look out a window, see someone spinning some thread and go, oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, A rich white dude hears about his dead daughter 
sorry, the rich white dude hears about his dead daughter and decides that instead of burying her like a normal person, he will instead sit her on a, upon a velvet throne in one of his many mansions under a canopy of silk to decompose and die sitting up. <laughs> <laughs> he then closes the door and Craig Davids his way out of there. I'm walking away. <laughs> yeah, l- wonderful reference. I love it. Um, completely normal decision to make. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. After a bit of time has passed, a king is strolling by the mansion with a raven that flies through an open window. Uh, through an open window. In an attempt to get his bird back he breaks into the house and finds the dead but surprisingly still intact talia seeing this beautifully preserved corpse oh god where is this going he springs an instant boner and carries her rigor mortis filled ass to bed to have sex with her (laughs) oh my god yes i read that right (laughs) fuck a king breaks into a house finds a dead girl and has sex with her and walt disney made a movie about it I, oh my god! Uh, this Moving was so on. much fun to write. I don't. There's like there's like there's like three three more sections. I don't. Oh god! god. <laughs> it gets worse. Moving on to nine months later, Talia's dearly departed vagina somehow births two healthy young children. <laughs> Some fairies rock up and dump the babies on Talia's bone dry breasts before they peace out. Given they are literally a few minutes old, they can't find a nipple and instead make their way down to suck on Talia's fingers. This is a horror movie. This isn't a <laughs> Disney cartoon. Oh, God. They spend so much time feasting on those flaky phalanges that the splinter of flax flops right on out and hey, presto, Princess Perished is suddenly awake. <laughs> Your use of language in this is incredible. Uh, uh, props, full props. Thank you. Around this time, the rapey fairy tale king decides to to come back for round two, but instead of a forensic phallic playground, he finds a dazed and confused naked chick holding two newborns. He quickly as- explains that she was dead, so he plundered her down-unders, and well, here we are. <laughs> she basically squeals with delight and has a few more rounds in the bedsheets with him until he goes home to his wife. Oh, did I forget to mention the king is married because he married big time. <laughs> so... Jesus Christ. So the queen is getting hella pissed because the king keeps calling out for Talia, Sun and Moon in his sleep. Yes, the kids are named Sun and Moon, like Miss Saigon, but more rapey. <laughs> but <laughs> She calls upon a servant and promises him a bunch of shiny stuff if he can find out who this Talia bitch is. The servant comes back with news of Talia and the queen's two shiny new stepchildren. So she tells him to go back and request the children be sent to the palace. Uh, Upon arrival, she sends the kids to the palace kitchen to be slaughtered and served up for the king's dinner. Fucking brutal. (laughs) The cook is all, oh, but they are so cute, and instead slaughters two lambs. The king eats up the food. Queen is all, you're eating your kids, but in riddle form, so he doesn't cotton on. She's upset that she didn't get the reaction she wanted, so calls for Talia to come to the palace under the guise that the king has asked for her. Horny Talia shows up full of joy, only to face the wrath of the queen who literally calls her a bitch and threatens to take her down. Talia is all your husband raped me in my sleep, but the queen doesn't want a bar of it. Demands Talia strip naked and then sentences our poor resurrected princess to the pyre. The king rushes out and is all, no, don't kill my sexy side dish, and instead has the queen fried to a crisp. The... (laughs) 
The kids and Talia rush out for a cuddle. Talia marries the king and this weird little family lives happily ever after, ending on this super fucked proverb. Those whom fortune favours find good luck even in their sleep. The end. (laughs) Far out. I just... What? Yeah. Imagine that. You wake up, you've been dead, and this guy goes, oh... Yeah, uh, you would. You just, I I done ya while you're while you were dead, and we got kids now. <laughs> Soz. She's like, woo, let's go for it again. Yeah. Oh, mm, okay. Yeah. Cool. Let's jump back in. Far out. I just what like a- to point out that like oxygen speeds up the process of decomposition. <sighs> so. <laughs> Yeah, nine months of decomposition, even if she is growing children somehow, is a lot of time. Oh, man, so much of that makes me feel physically ill. Um, Gian Batista Basile, please, please don't come back. No, he didn't write Pinocchio. That was um, Carlo Condetti. Oh, sorry. I just, I swear I've heard that name before. Let me just quickly look it up. Oh, Cinderella. Oh, okay. He wrote the earliest known European version of Cinderella. So the Disney version is based on that book and the Grimm's Brothers version and the ballet. Yeah, and okay. Basically, the Grimm's Brothers version has a lot of the things we know from the Disney movie. So um, that one does open with there's a celebration because the princess is born. The king invites the whole kingdom, including mm. 12 fairies but there's actually 13. And so the 13th one shows up being like, why didn't you invite me? And curses the baby to die on her 16th birthday by pricking her finger on a spindle. Right, yeah. So in response to this curse, there is um, a fairy who steps forward, so similar to the blue fairy, but instead of saying um, she'll fall asleep and true love will wake her, she says, instead of dying, she'll fall asleep for 100 years and so will the rest of the kingdom. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when the prince finds her, she has been asleep for 100 years. So basically when the the kingdom falls asleep, it just gets overrun with um, the thorns like we see in the movie. Yeah. But there's yeah. no like okay, evil yeah. witch dragon there to try and stop the prince. This prince is just... Oh, I hear there's a beautiful maiden in there and the whole kingdom's asleep. And he goes in there, he kisses her, she wakes up and is all, take me. And yeah, um, yeah. and then when the whole kingdom wakes up, the story ends with something about how other people who came to the kingdom were just shocked by their fashion because <laughs> they were wearing clothes from 100 years ago. What is this horseless cart you're and- driving? <laughs> and the closing line, I love the closing line of Grimm's Fairy Tales. This one is... They were equally astonished at the dress of the visitors, and no wonder, for in this hundred years the fashions had changed. The prince, however, did not care for this. He loved the princess for herself and not for her dress. Oh, that's so kind of him. But it's like, it's okay, he didn't care what she was wearing, he just loved her. Yeah. Oh, oh, all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean... I don't know a lot about, you know, the 1800s. Maybe fashion was a big indicator of whether you should date someone. Um, but even so, like, he just loves her for who she is. 
he has no idea who she is. She was asleep. Yeah, that. I mean that too. That I don't know why I focused on the fashion and not that point, but yeah. <laughs> I don't even think he knows her name. He's like, but he's still. I love you, regardless of your weird old dress. Yeah, I, I, I love you for who you are. Oh, that's good because I'm actually a Nazi. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Oh my god, Jesus. Well, look, that's uh, that's that is what it is. Look, do you have anything else you want to talk about, Staggers, or should we jump straight into the music? I think it's time to jump into the music. All right, well, let's take a break first, and then when we come back, we'll jump straight into Le Muzak. Hey there, Disney Bandits. We'd like to take a moment to thank all of our Patreons for their continued support. Without you, we couldn't make the show, so thank you, every one of you. If you'd like to contribute to making the show the best it can possibly be, you can find us at patreon.com slash dissectingdisney. And there you can get some cool stuff like access to our new monthly bonus episodes. July's bonus episode was a discussion of Cinderella 2 and 3, the direct-to-DVD sequels to Cinderella from 2002 and 2007. And August's episode is going to be uh, Return to Neverland 2 and most likely talk into a bit of a discussion about Hook as well, given that they are both direct sequels to Disney's Peter Pan. If you're not in a position to support us on Patreon, the best thing you could do is just tell your friends about us. Tell us, tell them what we're doing here. Tell them we're trying to find the answer to the impossible question. Um, also, if you like hearing my voice, you can find it on another podcast, Tabletop Unknown, where we discuss and playtest tabletop role-playing games that aren't Dungeons & Dragons. We've just finished Season 4 with Bubble Gumshoe and are gearing up to a self-running system uh, in Season 5 with Fiasco. Alright, back to the show. Alright, so, music time. As you said, there's not a lot of songs in this, so... I did, did, a, I did a Will here. Oh. So, Will likes to do timestamps, so I did a timestamp. Oh, here we go, here we go, yep, yep. By 32 minutes and 34 seconds, two of the three songs are over. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, pretty sure by forty we're all done here. Like, <laughs> it's a short movie. I mean, but it's not that short. Like, it's an hour eighteen, I think. Yeah, uh, from memory, watching it last night. And yeah, so it is a short movie, but it is not that short. It's not like you know we're done by forty five minutes. So that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's if a you front compare loaded it to, movie. If you compare it to Alice in Wonderland, that has a similar if not quite slightly shorter running time and it has about three billion times the songs yeah yeah absolutely and i mean there's not a lot that's new with sleeping beauty if we take away the incredible animation a lot of this a lot of the music um hang on let me try that again if we take away the incredible animation there's not a lot that's new or innovative about Sleeping Beauty. The story is very similar to Snow White. Um, there's, you know, the whole um, fairy godmother-esque type figures from Cinderella. It's it's very similar to the other sort of two major Disney princess, yep. in quotation marks, um, films that we've had up until now. So that sort of, I feel that extends to a lot of the music as well. Like I think that I'm, I won uh, Once Upon a Dream, is that no? I wonder. Sounds a lot like I'm wishing. Yeah. 
So, yeah. I completely agree with that. So there's a few factors. Um, Peter Pan and Lady and the Tramp weren't incredible hits compared Mm. to something like Cinderella. Yeah. And so once again, we've gone back to the what worked. Our most successful films have been Snow White, Cinderella. They're both about damsels in distress, innocent young women uh, with pretty voices. Let's make another one. Um, And also, now that Disneyland is open, Walt Disney's focus is now shifting into running Disneyland and also live actions. We're getting we're starting to get a lot more live actions now because we're moving into the 60s. Yeah, and so okay. the focus and care on the music side of things in terms of producing hit songs has really shifted away. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't come back for quite a while, which is why the last film the songs were written by Peggy Lee. Like, <laughs> there, there isn't like we're not getting Tin Pan Alley songwriters anymore to try and churn out massive hits. Yeah. Um. You know, Peggy Lee's a pop star, but the um. Yeah, the focus isn't sort of on creating these incredible um like Disney like hits. Like the music in The Lady and Tramp is so different. Mm, yeah. Um. So and it doesn't really have that Disney sound compared to, um, you know, other things. I don't know what I'm saying. I've, I've gone on a total t- tangent. No, no, no. I, I I get where you're um where you're going with it. It it does seem like a strange choice though, because with Disneyland opening, you would think that he would want more music to sort of fill out the park. Yeah, I mean, we've got When You Wish Upon a Star, so we're done here. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put that on repeat. Pay the guy who owns the rights and then let's just... uh... That's right. We don't own that song. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's let's jump into the first song then. Let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Which is a song that no one, I'm sure, remembers called I Wonder. Uh, Hail to Princess Aurora comes first. Hail to what? Hail to Princess Aurora. Did you write anything about that? Go for it. I wrote nothing down. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, Hail to Princess Aurora um, is the song that they're all singing as they're coming into the palace to celebrate her. thought it was kind of interesting as a song uh it's not doing anything like life-changing um but i did rate it uh, not not quite highly but i rated it fairly positively i kind of liked it um i gave it a three for music uh a two for lyrics um a two for animation now i just want to make a quick comment about the animation scores for this i've said you know we've said already the animation in this movie is stunning so the animation that the score that I've given for the songs is kind of separate to that. Um, and I've tried to rate them outside of the fact that the animation is incredible and the design is beautiful. I've tried to rate them sort of independently of that. So what's happening in the story and all that sort of stuff. So the animation I gave two because they're all coming to the castle, but there's not really a lot of interesting stuff happening. As you said, it's kind of a bit jarring almost at first because yeah. there is that... Um, 
that sort of like layered effect of like just 2D shapes in front of one another. Um, and then contribution, I gave a three. All right. Well, I will go back and, and add a rating for that song. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just, I don't even notice the songs that are like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I agree. And I think that's sort of, uh, something we got into, um, in earlier episodes with, um, uh, what did we do? What are the first movies? It feels so long. Uh, Snow White and Pinocchio. We sort of went, oh, look, this song only goes for a short time, so we won't rate it. Um, yeah, no, so I, I, I did rate this one because I think it, it is interesting. There's some interesting uh, n- melody lines that are being sung. I, I don't know. Like I've said it before, I, I don't really know a lot about music theory, but there is some really interesting, um, yeah, melody lines being sung. All right, I can't comment because I just don't remember it at all. No, that's fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, no, absolutely, I'll go back and I'll add some scores for it because why not? Yeah. I guess fair. it's not the credit song. The credit song is, is some is sort once of upon weird a dream. mash with yeah, Once Upon yeah, a Dream in the middle of it. Yeah, it, it is. It's sort of like a uh, – it's almost like a reprise before it even comes into the movie. Yeah. As, as a lot of these opening credits songs are at the time. I always – okay, this is going to be a stupid – question no but i always wonder <laughs> there's no such thing stackers <laughs> i wonder how they open the book at the start of these movies you know how yeah, there's well, like the- a book and then it magically just opens this one is very sort of stop motiony the the ones from memory from the last couple of movies have been very oh no maybe i'm wrong on that maybe they've been stop motiony as well this one feels very stop motiony all right I just think yeah. it looks magic. It's, it does. It let's looks, be honest, it's it probably good. a little, you know, thin piece of string or something, but yeah, yeah. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is. It looks good. Um, and it is, it's an inter- It's interesting that they have continued with the um, the, the storybook being opened up so long. Like, they've, they've continued with that trope right up until the 60s, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. And then we get it back in Shrek. And ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shrek. <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen? <laughs> uh, did you like Shrek when it came out? Oh my god, I still think it's one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, I I thought it was the funniest thing I had ever seen, and I like what was it, two thousand and one or something, year nine. I thought toilet humor was the height of comedy yeah. so i just yeah i loved it <laughs> it's just it's brilliantly cast the storyline is incredibly interesting and hilarious the music in it the use of music in it is brilliant yeah um the score in it is great uh, there's just nothing i can really fault about it the sequels yes but the yeah, first yeah, one yeah. fantastic so good yeah <laughs> Hey, maybe a future bonus episode. Let's, we'll see. It'll um, be bonus episodes, movies we wish were Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a really good theme, actually, because you've got things like Anastasia yeah. and um, Prince of Egypt that I think would be really great episodes, uh, but they're not Disney. Anyway, uh, yeah. moving on to I wonder. As I said, this song reminds me a lot of I'm Wishing from Snow White, mm. and it 
just kind of bored me a lot. Uh, I didn't rate it super poorly, but I didn't really rate it super well either. What did, what did you give it, Stackers? Um, I gave it a three for music. I just yeah. I think musically this this stuff is just so pretty. Um, yeah. I gave it a one point five for lyrics because I had very similar things to you. I just thought it's a very I'm wishing style song. Um, yeah. Animation, I gave this a one. Um, mm-hmm. And I, Contribution, I gave 1.5. Because I just, I don't think this song really needs to be there. No, no, it doesn't. It's It seems to just serve as a bridge between Aurora or Rose, as they call her, in the, in the cottage to Rose encountering the prince. Yeah. And it doesn't... I think musically it's really interesting. I adore the cadenza at the start. That's the only bit I really think needs to be there. Yeah, yeah. So the cadenza at the start when she is Mary... I shouldn't say she's Mary Costa. Oh, my God, that voice. Beautiful Um, voice. When she is just doing her thing at the start with the um, call and responses with the bird... incredible and i think that is enough to prick the ears up of the prince and and get him over there and then we can go into once upon a dream because i think the song Mm. doesn't do anything she actually does hit a bung note in the middle of it um and (laughs) oh does she i didn't hear it yeah one of her i wonder the bottom note is flat um but the (laughs) Sorry, <laughs> but the cadenza at the start is stunning. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is. It's um. Even though it reminds me of I'm wishing, it is more interesting than I'm wishing, and I think it's because of what you're saying that like Mary Costa, obviously stunning voice. Um, and yeah, where she's just sort of doing her thing at the start. Yeah, really, really beautiful. She was only 22 years old when she recorded this. Wow. Yeah. So she met Walter Schumann when she was a teenager. And Walter Schumann is the one that was brought on to do the score and then left because um, him and Walt Disney didn't get along. But yeah. she met him at a dinner party and he brought her in to audition for the role and she got it. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, she went on to do um, some big operas after this. But that voice is just so, so beautiful and warm. And yeah. it's just, it's so lovely. Her speaking voice is lovely as well. I just think she's a really well-rounded voice actress in this. Yeah, she seems almost, she's almost, she's kind of wasted in this, to be honest. Because um, she's given a few moments to really shine. And, and, and I think that's clear that we both really like, love her voice um but it's just it's a shame that there's not more memorable songs for her to sing or that she hasn't lasted the test of time as well as adriana casalotti who i think also has a a nice voice as well but i think that she that mary costa kind of blows her out of the water a little bit yeah and adriana casalotti seems like yeah she snow white is more iconic and i guess it's just because snow white is in the film for about three quarters I would say before she falls asleep whereas Aurora is a baby and then we don't see her for ages and Mm. then she finally appears she's 16 sings two songs back to back and bang she's asleep so she's not really in the movie that much yeah true true yeah um Um, well look I rated I wonder with uh, I was quite similar to you actually I rated at a three for music yeah uh a one for lyrics a two for animation and a two for contribution. 
Yeah, great. I uh, found an interesting um, little tidbit about Mary Costa. So she is still alive. Mm. She turned 90 last year. And in, in 2016, she wrote an open letter to her fans basically saying, I still get so much fan mail and I'm really sorry. I no longer can get back to everyone because I'm getting so much of it. And in 2020, she wrote another one, (laughs) basically said, I get there's a pandemic and you're all at home doing nothing, but please stop sending me letters. (laughs) (laughs) And as of August, I'm not responding to anything and I'm donating everything you send me to sign to charity. Please fuck off, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But, um, Props to Mary Costa. Yeah, and considering she did a lot of opera either side of this movie, she still is, and she signs it, your Princess Aurora, Mary Costa. So people still just idolise her for this one movie that she did, which is a pretty big effort considering, yeah, she sings two songs and that's it. Yeah, wow. Good for her. Yeah, she's she's a bit of a legend. But, yeah, definitely... Probably my favourite soprano voice so far. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think... know you didn't like um, Catherine Beaumont in Alice. No, no. Um, yeah, I think no. I think you're right. I think in terms of the the Disney princesses we've had, uh, she is the the most yeah the best voice so far. Yeah, I like her, and I really like Eileen Woods as Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. They they're, they're both up there. I think Mary Costa might edge her out for me, but that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I just, just really like thing. the warmth of um, Eileen Woods in A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. This just like beautiful warmth down the bottom. But yeah, definitely um, Mary Costa's top range. Oh, that cadenza, mm, mm. that cadenza. Um, so that's the first of uh, Princess Aurora's songs and we come now to the second and final uh, is Once Upon a Dream. I know you, I walk with you. That escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> this song, I don't know about you. Like, I think it's just the 21st century um, sensibilities. But when he just comes up behind her and grabs her hands oh, and no, then doesn't let good. her go when she tries to sort of get away a little bit, I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, he. I, I actually made a note of that. He's very handsy mm. and that's not okay. Um, also, this is, this is an interesting thing. Like the animals steal his clothes and then like, like carry them back to, uh, Princess Aurora to, to pretend that they're, uh, um, they're the, they're they're the prince and they're going to, and they're dancing with her. Just imagine you're the prince and you come across some bitch in the woods who's dancing with animals that are wearing your clothes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, still, like. Sorry, you go. I was just gonna say, I think that is such a gorgeous bit of animation. Yeah, yeah, it is. It Especially is. The way when that the, the owl's owl, wearing it. Yeah, the yeah. owl falls, and so they pick him up by the sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's gorgeous. But yeah, like, surely he is thinking that this woman is mentally unhinged. Like, it's just. <laughs> oh, God. But he, like, yeah, he gets very handsy, and that's not okay. Super handsy. What did you give this song? Uh, I really liked this song. 
However, whenever I hear Once Upon a Dream, all I think about is Anthony Warlow singing the Jekyll and Hyde soundtrack. Once upon a dream I conceived a perfect plan So yeah, but I mean that hasn't affected it at all, but I really liked <laughs> this song and I really again, I really liked the melody lines. It does some interesting things with um I think it's this song it does some interesting things with like expectations of where you expect a sentence to end but then it sort of continues on a little bit um in a way that I think Hamilton does really well so I gave it a four for music a two for lyrics a two for anim Uh, actually no I'm gonna up that to a three for animation because I think the dancing with the uh the animals is really really fun and stunning and I gave it a two for contribution Awesome. I gave this a four for music mm-hmm. and large, that's four points for Tchaikovsky being amazing. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And this um, this score is very, despite the fact it's just that song um, that's survived the whole idea of adapting the ballet, this mm. entire score is very derivative of Tchaikovsky's, of Tchaikovsky's work. So Tchaikovsky did the Sleeping Beauty Ballet and more famously the Nutcracker Ballet. Yes. And it's just that super indulgent, overly romanticized orchestration. Mm. Um, This For this score, actually, they actually flew – could I say actually one more time, please? Actually. (laughs) For this score, they flew the entire orchestra over to Germany to record this in stereo. Oh, wow. So just adding to the budgetary (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Requirements. They they went to this massive recording studio in Germany to record this, which is why the orchestrations sound incredibly lush. Mm, mm, yeah. So yeah. if you, you compare this to my previous probably favorite orchestration is Pinocchio, but if you yeah. play them side by side, Sleeping Beauty in terms of quality, sound quality, eats it alive. Yeah, yeah. 100%. It is stunning. Um so, yeah, I gave this four for music. I gave it three and a half for lyrics. Okay, yep. I think they just, I don't know, there's something about the unification of the lyric line and the music line, how, you know, um, but uh, seldom are they seen, but if I yeah. know you. I just, I, I don't know, I really like how this works in line with that, and especially because they didn't write, that melody line, I think yeah. it's just done. Tom Adair's done a really. Oh, it wasn't Tom Adair, was it? It was Sammy Fain's done a really good job of linking these up. Um, yeah, I gave it sure. three and a half for animation. I really like the owls dancing, but I also love when Aurora and the prince, uh, Prince Philip, are dancing by the water. Yeah, They're doing like yeah. that little part of their thing. I think that's nice. And I gave it two for contribution to story. Interestingly. This is actually the first prince with a name. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Prince Philip. They named him after the Duke of Edinburgh. Oh, okay. Like the, the, the yeah, that Prince Philip. All right. Yeah, Rest cool. Makes sense. Peace. Yes. So, yeah, there's a little interesting tidbit, despite the fact that I kept calling, was it Sleeping Beauty's prince, Prince Philip? Uh, this is Sleeping Beauty. No, Cinderella's uh, prince. Cinderella's, prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sure he has a name. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's just <laughs> Prince Charming. Bobby Charming. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that brings us to the uh, the lit drinking song, uh, Scumps. Scumps! 
stumps. A toast to this night. The outlook is rosy. The future is bright. Our children will marry. Our kingdoms unite. Scumps! Scumps! This song might be my most hated song I've ever heard. I fucking hated this song. <laughs> I hated it so much. It just, and it doesn't end. It keeps coming back. Like, they talk yeah. a bit and then they sing some more. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, no, 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 we're done. Oh, we're not done. Okay, uh, cool. Um, and it's a shame because, uh, look, uh, this is the one of the two songs from the cutting room floor I have, so let's just jump straight into that. Songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, floor. Okay, so yeah, this song replaced a song called uh, I Have a Picture, and it's the... It's both of the kings singing about how they have this picture of their child, but their child's sort of grown up, um, but the, their child is also sort of the best parts of them and their and their wives. And I just think it's really it's really quite nice. But here's a little bit of it here. She's really the living picture of my wife as you plainly see. That is a beautiful representation of what we were saying before or what I was saying before um, about how Sammy Fain had written this beautiful Broadway-esque score that they cut. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah, it, it's very different to the rest of the score. But and it sits really it, well next to Once Upon a Dream. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. And it does give the kings more interesting things um, to... To think about them, like it gives a more interesting characterization mm. that they actually care and remember about, you know, their, their kids being children and they're grown up now and all this sort of stuff. I think it's a really, really lovely song. Super uh, it's not as pretty, yeah, like it's not a you know, the fun drinking song that I'm sure they were hoping Scumps was going to be, but <laughs> it is just, yeah, it's really nice. I really like it, and I think it's a real shame that they cut it. Yeah, I almost, yeah, I almost wish I could hear what that would have all sounded like if Sammy Fain had been left to do what he'd done with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I, I really do like Once Upon a Dream and I really like what you just played. Mm. Um, so, yeah, oh, interesting. Interesting choices were made here. Yeah, 100%. And it's it just, yeah, I, I won't go into it much more, but it, it's just a shame. Yeah, I think it's a shame because, like I said, I hated the scums. I hated it. So what did you give Scumps? Let's get ready for it, some big numbers here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave it a one for music, Yeah. Uh, a zero for lyrics, <laughs> a zero for animation. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry, no. I gave it a one for animation and a zero for contribution. Well, I was slightly less harsh. Um, okay. I gave it a one for music and a one for lyrics. I yep. gave it three and a half for animation. Um Okay. I really love the jester in this. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is absolutely hilarious how, and, and I know he sort of does the in-between bits when they're in-between singing, um, yep. but the way that he gets lit 
yeah. off the wine, drinking it out of his loot. <laughs> and he's asleep under the table with his oh, head stuck in the loot. It yeah. kills me. It kills me. So, yeah, I gave it three and a half there. Um, contribution, I gave one because I just did not understand what was happening. <laughs> yeah, so I actually had to look up what scumps means because um, – I had no idea. I had no idea. But it turns out scump is taken from a Swedish word called scumper, which is um, Swedish for champagne. Oh. Or, or like not, not directly translated to champagne, but like frothing wine or, or, you know, sparkling wine or something like that. So they're clearly drinking red wine. Yeah, which I think is which I think is interesting that they've then gone. Because this movie doesn't feel like it's set in Sweden. Like usually we can you know, place a a time period and a sort of like stylistic place. This doesn't feel like it's styled um out of Sweden. So the fact that they've used a Swedish word I think is is very strange. Yeah. I think the the artwork feels um pretty Italian. But Yeah. Yeah. But very medieval as well. Like it's yeah. And I I mean I should say Sweden wasn't medieval yeah. at one point in time, but like it, <laughs> It feels like a, a very familiar medieval representation. So I, I find that interesting and yeah, yeah strange. Well, yeah. It looks like they're drinking just squashed red grapes, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good um, times. The lit party song. You got to have one. Yeah. It just. Yeah. No, I didn't like it. And now I'm really angry that it wasn't the song you just played because that just sounds gorgeous. It's so much better, and the harmony in it is is beautiful. I just, yeah, I, like I said, really, really strange choices. Yeah, I mean, a bit derivative of Rogers and Hammerstein sort of stuff, but that's fine because Rogers and Hammerstein is pretty. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. But look, that brings us to the final song, uh, apart from a you know Once Upon a Dream reprise, but we're not going to bother with that. Um, <laughs> and that is the song titled Sleeping Beauty. Look, this song was, aside from being kind of boring, I didn't hate it. I thought it was an interesting, like, interesting things were happening as well. The fairies putting the, the kingdom to sleep and all that sort of stuff. Um, but before we get into that, I do have one more songs from the cutting room floor. Songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, song, Now, this song that it replaced is called Go to Sleep. Very, uh, you know, um, creatively titled. Um, now, unlike I Have a Picture, this song, I think, is much worse than the song that replaced <laughs> it. And I, I, I think it's only just because they're both kind of very similar vibes um, in that they're, you know, it's happening while the kingdom's falling to sleep, falling asleep and all that sort of stuff. But I just don't think it does it as well. So let me just play a bit for you here. that the song that's in the film no and that's what i mean like they are very very similar but no they're, they're yeah they're different songs oh. so i don't actually know why they've decided to change this song maybe because it is just a bit more boring and someone has pointed that out because they are so stylistically similar yeah that it's not the complete change that we had from i have a picture to scumps you know uh yeah so i just think that that is just 
uh, Go to Sleep is just Sleeping Beauty, but a bit worse. It's like the first <laughs> draft almost. Um, so it, I, I'm I'm glad that they have changed that they changed it to um, to Sleeping Beauty, but. Still, not not the best song in the show by by a long stretch. Um, but it's it's not it's not horrible. It's it's just it's just kind of blah. Yeah, I think. no, agreed. I found um, the the song that did make it in the film, Sleeping Beauty. I, I mm. think it's okay. I mean, it sort of does. It, um, I want to say it's like exposition, even though we already know what's gonna happen. Yeah. But it's like you're beautiful and one day you dream of your prince and one day the prince will come and wake you up so it's all good. Yeah, the lyrics <laughs> are not great and uh, that got the the harshest um in in terms of this song, that's what I rated the lowest mm. because yeah, they they're not great lyrics and yeah, they are just very expositiony describing exactly what has happened, exactly what's going to happen and what we know um already going into it so yeah it's just it's very redundant lyrics um what did you give this one yeah okay so i gave it a two for music Mm -hmm. Uh, i gave it a one for lyrics Mm -hmm. i gave it a three for animation yeah um and i gave it a three for contribution all right cool yeah um i gave it a three for music i really like the choral arrangement in this I yeah, mean, it's yeah. it's very, um, very like kind of derivative of the choral arrangements that you know um, Lee Harline and all that were writing back much earlier than this, and mm, yeah, but yeah. I still just really like it. Um, the lyrics, uh, I gave it a two, and animation, animation, I gave this a two. I got really angry that the the townsfolk are all excited because Princess Aurora is going to appear. But when the fairies go to put them to sleep, they're all standing completely still. They're just normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's moving. Business as usual. Yeah. Yeah, So people are, it's like, yeah, I don't understand why no one's moving when they go to put them to sleep. They're all just standing there facing this like wall that they think she's going to appear at the top of. But no mm. one's moving. There's no more celebration. It's like they're preempting that they're gonna fall asleep, and I didn't like that. Um, no, that's uh, that's completely fair. Yeah, yeah, when they go outside, it already looks like it's dark, and it already looks like they should be asleep. Like it's sort of the animation preempts the action. Yeah. Um, yeah. And contribution, I gave it one because we already know all this stuff. No, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, absolutely, perfectly reasonable. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, it just sort of, oh, this whole whole thing of the fairies put them to sleep bugs me because, yeah, the king does say, I was just talking to Prince Philip. Yeah, uh, overall, the, really um, the, f- the fairies' justification for their plans is very strange. Yeah. And because they're kind of the protagonists, even though it's about Princess Aurora, the fairies are really, I think, the protagonists in this. Yeah. Yeah, like we're exposed to their really strange reasoning a lot. Mm. So, yeah, it's – um, but, yeah, look, it's – it's. I think overall it's not a terrible film. I think the animation is really stunning and, and yep. worth people um, checking out. But, yeah, in terms of impactful story and things like that, this isn't the film for – to be worrying about that. Yeah, I agree. I think the story, if you literally just read what happens, it's stupid, but it is a visually very stunning 
movie. The score is stunning. The music in it, for the most part, is very, very beautiful. Um, yeah, and there's just there's just a lot of sort of interesting choices. The fairies fighting. I mean, trust over the musicians, the- really. <laughs> The fairies fighting over the dress I always found amusing. I love the scene where she's making the cake. Yeah. And I laughed because when I am baking anything and I need a cup of something, I always go cups, 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 cups. And I couldn't remember (laughs) where I got that from. And it's from her, is it Fauna? Yeah, Fauna Uh, making the cake when she goes, two cups of flowers, cups, 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 cups. And then, (laughs) oh my God, the way that she puts the eggs in their hole because she doesn't know to crack them and then pushes down and breaks the eggs. It is so, so funny for anyone who knows how to vaguely bake at anything. Just yeah. watching all the mistakes work when she's measuring the flour, but when she takes the cup away, the flour is still pouring into the bowl. So there's probably about five times the amount of flour she needs in that cake. Also very funny when they decide to use magic and she like enchants the ingredients and then shows them the recipe book and they're just like oh, standing yeah. around reading just this do recipe what it says book. In the book. But then yeah. I thought, hang on, the eggs are now moving themselves. So are the eggs, the eggs have p- people like... The eggs are cracking themselves. Are you now? Yeah. Eating, do they have consciousness? Like, are they are they committing suicide for this? Yeah. You know. You sort of think of Beauty and the Beast. They were all people. When you enchant an object, does it have feelings? I feel like it yeah, does, and yeah. you're gonna beat it to death and eat it now. Oh no! Um, now, yeah. now, now I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If we were rating animation in that scene, that would just be flat fives. Like it is so yeah, yeah, yeah. so clever the way that they do that. Um but look, that brings us to our favorite segment. Um, so yeah, uh, Angie and I watched this movie last night. She thought similar to what we thought. It's a little bit boring, but the, the animation is stunning. Uh, at the very start of the movie, when they're all coming to visit the castle and visit Princess Aurora, um, she, the King Hubert presents, uh, Prince Philip to the king and they betrothed them to, to Princess Aurora. And Angie turns to me and says, you know, this small moment made me think of Swan Princess, and I'd much rather watch that instead. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, her, now that you say that, her animation in Swan Princess is clearly based on Aurora's outfit when she's in the pink dress. Yeah, and they're sort of like disgusted each other when they're kids as well because Prince Philip in this looks in the bassinet and I mean look fair enough he's what like eight or ten and they've just told him he's going to marry this infant <laughs> but um he looks in the bassinet with a kind of like type, type look on his face yeah because girls that- are gross and they have cooties yeah, absolutely. But that's that's all very much a big part of the first half of um, Swan Princess. Well, maybe not the first half, but like mm. the first act of Swan Princess as well is they're disgusted at each other. So it does feel very, very similar. There are raging debates over whether Aurora's dress is pink or blue. Yeah. What, what colour do you like it as? I actually really like the blue. Okay. I really liked the pink. Yeah, I mean she's so, yeah. now in the pink and everything. She walks around the parks in the pink, and you know any images you see of her are pink. But I just yeah. think the blue is refreshing. I think um, the blue is is nice, but I think because we've had um, at the risk of you know starting up fierce debate again, we've silver. got the Cinderella it's dress, silver. which is I. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we've got the Alice well. in Wonderland dress, which is a very similar shade of blue. Um, I think the pink is a nice change. Yeah. She actually spends very, very little time in this movie in pink. Yeah. For she, the majority and- of the time she's wearing it, it's blue. And very little time in the dress at all, yeah. really. But they put yeah. it on her when she's leaving the house. It's blue. She gets the kingdom. It's blue. She walks yeah. in with the prince at the end. It's still blue. They start dancing. It's blue. And then we start the pink blue on it. So yeah. technically, yeah. that dress be blue. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, mm. I agree. And that if you've ever, ever watched the side-by-side of uh, that ballroom scene at the end with Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene at the end. Have very you ever similar. Watched? It's the same. No, I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's the same. So they they swap out Aurora and Philip for Belle and the Beast. They change the texture on the floor, even though it's very similar. It's still squares, but it's a different color, I think. They change the people Mm. around the edge, and side by side, it is the exact same animation. Wow. Yeah, very cool. We'll put it on the socials. But look, that uh, that's all of the songs, Stackers. That's uh, that's everything. That's That's Sleeping Beauty. Um, It is, yeah. Uh, Let's tally our scores. Okay, so we've tallied the scores and stackers. Drum roll. It is. Once oh, fuck. A- What's it called? <laughs> Once upon a dream. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, you're a loser. Just play the song. <laughs> I know you. I walked with you once upon a dream. I know you. The key in your eyes and so familiar a gleam. All right. Once upon a dream. There we go. Oh, jeez. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> you know what? You just have to find someone else. I'm sorry. Yeah, just, you're I'm fired. Just... <laughs> Looking for someone named Will to replace Will. <laughs> 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 All right. Oh, I don't think boy. that was a surprise for anyone. And that that really no. is one of the standout songs overall for me from the golden age of Disney as well. Yeah, I agree, I think. I think it, for me personally, it's that and then... Um, I mean, obviously, we loved Warriors and the Carpenter, but I think the second start of the ride is really stunning as well. Yeah. Um, so I think those three are probably my top three, um, personally. Yeah, I think um, I think my top three, when we're just talking about songs by themselves so far, are probably, yeah, Once Upon a Dream, um, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, and yeah, maybe, okay. like... Yep. Bella Notte. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. I yeah. just Again, love Bella Notte. Like, really stunning songs yeah. all around. Like, we are lucky in that we're not having to listen to a lot that are drags. Mm. Um, like, even though there's songs that are a little bit boring and, you know, don't really fit the, the, um, the show all that well or the movie all that well, there are generally really interesting songs and there's some really beautiful ones in there too so yeah and i think what what will happen i mean we know walrus and the carpenter is still the song to beat and that's mm. that's because it is an eight minute incredibly complex um and wonderfully written song but yeah. um i think when we get maybe halfway through so say we've done 
20 movies or something. Um, mm. Or maybe even when we get near the end, so we get, you know, to around the Frozen 2 mark, um, we may have to do a round where we, we give, you know, we get to pick three songs each to battle over some bonus points for to bring them up. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, like yeah. <laughs> songs that we feel should be higher on the list. You get three, yeah. I get three, we get to battle it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, look, I know that um, we have often said on the podcast and particularly in the earlier episodes, the way in which we scored changed and we acknowledged that as we sort of became a little bit more experienced at this because we're not we're not professionals at this we're just sort of um doing what you know something that we love um and and, the, and as we've sort of settled into this groove we have changed how which we're marking so one thing we were talking about is doing like a bit of a retrospective look at maybe those first four or five films where we were settling in and, and sort of rescoring those so that's certainly something to keep an eye on as well coming up. Yeah, so don't despair. If your song is sitting lower than you want it to be, although good luck if it's already down at like number 39. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear from those people out there who are like, how dare they mark scumps, scumps. Yes. so low. <laughs> All right, so Will, what's our next episode going to be about? Oh, look, next up, we dive right into the 60s with glorious Technicolor and 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> Straight away, I started singing He's a Tramp in my head. Wrong movie. Already yeah, done. Wrong movie. Different dogs. Wrong movie. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, uh, we will see you guys in two weeks. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.